Welcome to the Impact Sessions, a business podcast hosted by me, Nick Bramley, CEO and Director of Impact at Impactus Group. The Impact Sessions brings you weekly insights and experiences from some of my most valued, trusted and influential business contacts across a range of current, interesting and hopefully thought-provoking subjects designed to give you some practical tips and ideas to drive continued success in your business. On this episode of the Impact Sessions, I've got Sarah Cowell, Marketing Director of Rainbow Mash. Rainbow Mash are a marketing agency, but Sarah's talking about the customer engagement piece from first date to finding the one. It's a really interesting journey. I hope you enjoy the podcast. So this morning, I'm delighted to introduce Sarah Cowell. Sarah is a marketing director at a company called Rainbow Mash, uh, based in York in the north of England. Um, Sarah and I met recently when she attended one of my sales masterclasses that I was running. And um, the reason I've invited Sarah along, I really liked uh, her approach to marketing, in particular the whole analogy around sort of relationship building and and likening sort of marketing to a, a kind of a dating game, really. And she's got some interesting ideas that I'd like to share with the audience. So first of all, welcome to the uh, the Impact Sessions podcast, Sarah. Thank you for having me, Nick. No problem. I thought you were um, a breath of fresh air in the masterclass. I think you had some really good ideas and really interesting sort of concepts. I thought, let's explore that with our audience and see what they think. So we'll fly through a few questions, just have a chat and see what you want to share with the group, if that's okay. That sounds great. Excellent. Okay. Well, um, well, first of all, um, as I said earlier, you sort of liken the whole customer journey to to dating in some way, which... I also do a little bit in one of my sales workshops. I think, you know, when you're looking at um, closing and, and negotiating, it's it's a bit like the end of a date, whether you want a second date or you, who's paying for, for, for the meal and that kind of stuff. So I quite like the analogy of that. Um, but how did that analogy come about and, and then take shape? So where did that come from? Where did that little kind of reference point start? I think it was really when we started looking back on the marketing campaigns that we've done and how we've actually helped companies grow and how they've worked with their audiences and actually brought people along with them. And it isn't as simple as saying, these are the people I want to love my product, hey, here it is. It's actually building a relationship, developing trust. And so when you practically think about that, an analogy is a really good way to communicate him. And as we started writing blogs and doing videos, um, we started doing content, which we called our marketing nuggets. Mm. Actually, it made sense. It was an engaging way to help people understand that it's a journey and it isn't as simple as selling and getting there straight away. Okay. As I say, um, you've got a bit of a process there then, haven't you, in terms of steps and and, and that kind of area. Um, So before we get into that, what type of reactions do you get from customers and at networking events when you sort of use the analogy about dating? And, um, you know, is that anywhere dependent on someone's own dating experiences or horror stories of dating, for example? Um, I think it helps people understand it. Because at the end of the day, everybody relates to their own experiences and mm-hmm. we're all human. And whilst it's a marketing process, yeah. actually, it's about how you understand it and the practicalities of it. I think everybody's probably got their own dating story, whether that be pure <laughs> horror or not. Yeah. Um, but there's an element there of it's OK that you will. I'm sure everybody at some point has met somebody in their lives who thought, actually, I wouldn't want to date you or even probably it wouldn't be good for me to be friends with you because we're not the best fit, really. Yeah. And so I think it's a really good analogy of how we just find our way around the world mm. and 
it's okay to say that we're not suited to everybody at the end of the day because everybody is slightly different. I quite like the fact that it humanises marketing as well, doesn't it? Whilst there's a process there, it does put a sort of a, a human story on it. It does make people think about their own experiences to some extent. So is that kind of the reaction you get when, you, when you're talking to people? People are quite willing to share some of their dating experiences uh, 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 with, a, with a marketeer like yourself. Yeah, sometimes. And I think also, whatever line of business you're in, it's about showing a little bit of who you are personally and being warm and personable and actually connecting with people. It's not all about business. Actually, people at the end of the day want to work with and trust people who they like. And I think when you talk about the process, it is hearts and minds. And that is a little bit of convention. But actually, when you break it down and you look at the emotion and the logic, Mm. you've got to have most things for that to be successful. You've got to actually want something, but you've also got to need and it needs to make sense. Okay, that, that, that's fairly clear in that respect. So we've mentioned the process a couple of times there, uh, and we'll cover that in a bit more detail shortly. Uh, but before we do, quick question from a... I, I can't resist when I get somebody who's a, a marketing director from a, a, an organisation like Rainbow Mash In. Why do so many businesses get marketing wrong, Sarah? You know, they just you see it all the time. Why do they get it wrong? <clears throat> I think marketing is a perception issue. Mm-hmm. And I think it's about looking at it as an investment rather than a cost. Mm. So there can be a feeling that if I do this marketing, I don't know what I'll get from it. It could cost a lot. But actually, it's probably about turning it round on its head and saying, how do I want the business to grow? Mm-hmm. What is my objective? And what sort of return on investment or what sort of results do I want to see from that? A bit like if you do anything in business, you'll do a cost benefit analysis, whether that be very informally mm. or you do it all on a spreadsheet. And so I think it's about seeing it that way. And also being quite comfortable with the fact that we can't necessarily always predict the results. Mm -hmm. What we do now is that we go out and we do some marketing. We will get a reaction from our target audience. And then as we learn from our target audience and we get those little pieces of insight or little gems or nuggets of gold, Mm. then we can tweak it and do the next bit of marketing. But a bit like developing the relationship with the customer, marketing equally is a journey. Mm. So it's about thinking that actually I want to grow my business. I need to invest in it. There will be a return on investment and results. And I understand that when I see what my customers are doing, I can then tweak what I, my activity and take it a step further. That's interesting. You've also got to be prepared for the fact that you might not get the result you're expecting, but you get results of some sort that have got some value to the next stage of the process. So I quite like the idea that it's an investment, not a cost. Um, so I'm assuming you only work with the types of businesses who see the same as you then on that basis. Because if someone sees marketing as a cost, they're not really going to particularly be the right kind of customer for Rainbow Mash, are they? And that's quite an interesting perspective because we're talking about the right customers. Yeah, the the companies that we tend to work with are quite ambitious, entrepreneurial, have a real focus on growth. Mm. And we kind of flip everything on its head and it's not about the marketing activity. It's actually about what the business objective is. And so actually, if that's what you want to achieve, then we'll step back from that and think, what are the best things to do? Mm. Okay, so that's a, that's a nice sweet spot for you. So let's talk about the sweet spot on this dating game, and mm. this, I call it dating game, but effectively the sort of process. So um, so from first date to finding the one as you talk through your process, can you talk to our listeners and viewers through the logic behind that? What's the starting point in terms of this finding the one? I think it's that you wouldn't run up to somebody in the street and claim that they were the right person for you. <laughs> Would you? <laughs> yeah, I, suspect, and, I suspect that might be a slightly <laughs> weird first approach, might it really? Yeah. And I suppose you do have to overlay that with some people say, oh, it was love at first sight, but that is quite rare. Yeah. 
And so I think the same is probably quite true with products and services in that you might know who your target audience are, but mm. you wouldn't go straight to them and say kind of, this is it, do you want, do you want to buy this? Mm. And it's about developing that relationship. And so um, many of the viewers and listeners probably will have heard of the marketing funnel where essentially first you have awareness, mm. people are aware of what your brand is, what you offer. Then you go to consideration. So you're in the running with a number of other brands and mm. then you go to purchase. And it's that thing of developing those relationships. So from thinking that this person seems quite interesting, I'd be willing to go out for a drink with them. Then, okay, I really like them quite a lot more. Let's go on a few more dates, etc. Mm. To the point where you think, actually, yeah, they're really right for me. Yeah. And it, it is a journey. And I think marketing is all about taking people on that journey and understanding it. So I guess it, it is about sort of like you say, instead of just saying that everyone could be the one, it's having a focus on what does that one even potentially look like. So, you know, like you say, target customer, sweet spot, the right kind of uh, response mechanism that I'm looking to engender. So in your case, you're talking about, you know, high growth, aspirational, entrepreneurial kind of businesses, which means that you've already thought about what your one might look like and you're narrowing the odds of being less successful by doing so. Would that be fair? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. It's about understanding what your values are, mm. what you stand for, and then also communicating that with a really strong proposition uh, and ultimately talking to people in the right way. I think in terms of finding the right person, the analogy works because it's about having the right objective and the right target audience. Mm. And if you get that right, it can all come together. But I think we do need to overlay a level of realism as well, if that makes sense in yeah. terms of you will have a target audience and if you are very kind of tight on what your values are and what your proposition is, you will be very particular. Mm. But then be realistic because actually not 100% of that target audience will go on to be your customers. Yeah, they won't all respond in the same way either, will they, to be fair? No, no, they won't all respond in the same way. And it's about conversion rates. So actually you will have a particular percentage of a conversion rate that you then think these are the people who are most likely to come through. And actually other people, other businesses will be right for them. And that's absolutely fine. That's mm. that's the way the world works. We're talking about that running up to somebody in the street and just sort of announcing that you're the one. I got a very um, odd LinkedIn approach the other day from someone. I am connected to the guy, but I've never engaged with the guy. So I connected with him. I looked I looked actually when I connected and it was something in 2016. I've never had any correspondence with the guy, never spoke to the guy, never had any sort of offline or online exposure to him and his business and he sent me a very blunt um he's a pdf we we need some help from experts have a look and passes your comments but like as blunt as that i was like what really weird i said don't you know there's no it was it was quite an impolite post anyway but language aside it just came right out the blue and i just said to him i sent a note back said not sure what you're trying to achieve. Don't know. I've never had a, 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 um, an approach like this on LinkedIn. It just feels slightly odd. And he went, well, we're looking for your expert ad advice. Can you comment? And it was like, wow. And my first reaction was, I don't want to work with this guy. He, he, he took no no um, time to invest and understand or even reach out beforehand. I said, look, I'm thinking of doing something. You might be able to help me or would you be willing to? It just, it just felt really blunt. And I, I'm a fairly direct and sort of blunt northern uh, uh, bloke, but it just felt really odd. Do you ever come across that where people just get that first approach wrong? 
Yeah, and in that context, I think you did the right thing in terms of going back and saying, I'm not really sure what's happening here. And that's actually quite a bold move in itself. Mm. Um, so that definitely feels like the right thing to do. I think it's probably a mismatch of values, mm. which is a, a good example for what we're talking about here. Um, but yeah, I think when things go wrong, it's that people have just got different expectations. Mm. And I think in that context, I would say that example, it feels like that person is probably quite extreme on one end of the scale. Yeah. Whereas you might get an email on the other end of the scale where somebody is very soft and very, well, please, if you wouldn't mind. And yeah, it might yeah. feel a bit like they're underconfident. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's it, it's working out where you want to sit, especially with the language that you use. Mm. And also working out what your values are, because I would always want people to feel appreciated and if for it to feel collaborative yeah. and actually saying, look, I really value what your opinion is because you've got a completely different perspective to me mm. and can we have a chat? And actually it might even be the medium there. It might've been easier for them to have sent you a really breezy short email yeah, and to have said, here's my number. Do you mind if we can have a five minute chat? I did. Yeah, I did find, I found the forum to be the wrong forum because mm. I, I didn't find LinkedIn was the right environment for that. And I found his language was, and don't get me wrong, I wasn't offended by his language. It felt, I felt as though I was just a recipient of a blanket sort of approach. And if he throws it to enough people, enough people would come back and say, you know, give him what he wants, which is some input. I didn't even open the file. I didn't even open the PDF. You know, it felt, just felt wrong, but I was interested in that. So, um, Okay, you talk about finding the one which we've done. You call the next step in your process the dating game. So so how does the dating game work in a marketing sense then, Sarah? This bit is about meeting expectations. So everybody will know they have bought a product or service for a first time and it actually didn't work or they didn't like him and they they don't progress ahead. Mm. So actually, if you're going to get to that bit of the dating game and wanting to see more of that person, actually, you need for it to be right and for it to have met your expectations and for you to think, yes, I want to learn a bit more or to know a bit more about this person or yeah. product or service. I think at this stage, it's about kind of three key things. Mm -hmm. You've got to almost love what they're doing. Mm -hmm. You've got to love the product or the service or be interested. There's got to be a level of trust. Mm. And I think that's where quality and consistency comes in. And also back to values and what you were saying before, there's a level also of authenticity. Mm. People need to live by their values. If if a brand, a company, or even a person isn't quite living by their values, we really see that very quickly mm. and it becomes quite transparent. And so actually at the end of the day, you can only be you. And it is that idea of live by your values. You'll be right for some people. Mm you won't be right for others and that's absolutely fine and accepting that because yeah. i think some people have expectations that you know everyone will love what they do because you know i had a client a number of years ago and he was particularly he was selling a, a a solution in a very compliant environment so it was about water testing when you know people were looking at um legionnaire control and all that kind of thing and the legislation came in and he started off by saying to people you have to have your water tested you have to have this you have to have that and he said no one's buying i said yeah because nobody wants to be told what to do you have to build a relationship into you know why this legislation's in place the impact of that legislation if you don't do something and how you can solve a problem for them i said if you go in and say you know this is me this is my business and i'm going to do this because you have to have it so you sound like the school bully nobody wants to be told what to do you need to build that relationship so that's quite an interesting kind of approach in terms of, um, you know, the trust. You didn't build the trust up. You just, you just told someone you have to have it. Mm. And was surprised when nobody wanted to buy it. Changed his approach and had much more success with that sort of softer collaborative approach that you mentioned earlier. You know, it's a piece of legislation. 
it is a challenge. It's something that you're probably not really aware of, but you need to be, you know, to be sort of um, uh, on your radar. And I can help to make that problem go away for you. How interested would you be? So we just flipped that round, and it was he got a completely different reaction. And he was like, he was just telling people, you need to have it. Why? Because the government says you have to have it. Well, no one's buying on that basis, Hannah. Yeah, nobody buys on the basis of being told what to do. No, compliance is not a great sales uh, uh, um, driver, is it really? No, and I also think it goes back to the quality of your proposition and how you articulate it. Mm -hmm. And also understanding that that is a key thing in where you sit in the market and understanding that there'll be lots of other people. Mm. And yet there will be competitors and actually competitors are a good thing Mm. because they help you understand what your values are, understand what your place is. And also at times it can really help you focus on what is your super skill? What do you do completely differently? Because people can go to lots of companies, Mm. um, whether they be marketing companies or financial services companies, and everybody does something slightly differently. And that's in a way the nice thing because it almost then liberates you to articulate what you're good at and then connect with people and connect with the right people for you. And to find the fit that's right for you that might not be right for your competition and vice versa. So you're right, you're just accepting the fact that you're not for everyone, but you'd be for enough people and you can articulate that. So I'm just going to take you back a bit. You've mentioned values a couple of times. I'm a massive sort of fan of sort of values on a personal level but also on a business level uh, and a lot of people think that oh, just marketing fluff you know vision mission values you know what what a load of bunkum and a load of words and stuff um do you want to give us your take on why that's absolutely the wrong approach and why vision values and those kind of areas like that are really a game changer potentially when it comes to to, to your clients i think values are almost the bedrock And yes, they can be a series of words. So if Mm. I take it back to what the values of the Rainbow Mash are, I think about creativity and results and being bold and different. But actually, as a set of words, they're just words. But I think it's what you do with the values and how you live by them. So often it's kind of a show, not tell. So you need to demonstrate the values. Mm. And also it's how you then work them into your proposition and how you talk to people. And so for us, our values, and it's always good to give kind of a solid example, is that I say creativity is great. And that's one of the main reasons why I'm a marketer. Yeah. But creative ideas mean nothing without business results and without return on investment. So commercialization of those ideas. Yes. And kind of I'm a very commercial marketer because before setting up the Rainbow Mash with my business partner, I worked in financial services. Mm. And I'll be really honest, when I left, I thought people would think that's quite dull. They're not the sexiest products, which is true. Um, but at the end of the day, it's all about commercialism and it's about results mm. and it's about being able to turn actually the creativity into business growth. Mm. And so it's that idea of these are our values. This is what we live by. This is how we work with our clients and the sort of work we do. But this is how we articulate it and we live by it. Well, one of the reasons I enjoyed you being in the workshop uh, masterclass session was you articulated that really well. And I thought, you know, it's, it's quite refreshing to hear somebody from the marketing profession link that to results. I'm not saying people don't, but there's a lot of uh, um, sort of marketeers who will create content or create noise, but don't necessarily have that kind of connection between what's that going to generate for my business. So I'm not surprised that Rainbow Mash are doing well, but also have targeted aspirational entrepreneurial businesses because there's a real good fit there, isn't there? Yeah, we think there is because almost that's what we're doing. And it's great to be able to do really um, creative stuff. 
So, for example, we helped a brewery called Brew York, who Mm -hmm. are based in York. We started a craft beer revolution with them. So it was great to be really creative. And imagine saying to two brewers, do you want to start a revolution? They were like, yes. So there was no kind of... um, rules to abide by or anything like that you, you could just do it which was great I, I don't think there are any rules in revolution I think <laughs> no. as, far as, I, as far as I know looking back through history I think the rule book goes out the window when you use the word revolution don't you really and there was an element there that we had to be quite careful as well we didn't want it to be too bold and too contentious we yes. actually just wanted it to mobilise and create a community of people who wanted to go on a crowdfunding journey with them mm. and so I think it's that mix of being really creative and starting a revolution yeah. but at the same time helping them raise 56,000 in what was 21 days so they could open um, York's biggest craft beer venue so it's that thing of being really creative and pushing the boundaries in the right way Mm. but at the same time keeping a real eye on the business side of things and often you think those two things don't go hand in hand because you think kind of creativity art on one side and logic and business is on the other side when actually they need to because nobody would ever invest in any form of marketing if they didn't think it would give a return on investment no otherwise it's just vanity isn't it really and uh, they're doing it for vanity but not doing it for commercial reasons it won't work it'll fall down anyway won't it yeah absolutely and ideas mean absolutely nothing without Mm. results and you've got you've got to be that bold because otherwise people would never work with you can I ask about your business partner then? Do you have complementary and, and overlapping skills? Are you, are you opposites? How did, you know, how did that come about? Because sometimes opposites work really well, sometimes it's complementary. How does that work in terms of your characteristics of you and your business partner? Yeah, we've got quite different skill sets. So having worked in um, financial services and, and obviously being a marketer and strategy and planning, mm-hmm. copywriting, um, content marketing as well. So yeah. how you actually structure it and think it all through. And my business partner, he is graphic design, web design, image editing. And so actually it's that thing of you couldn't start a revolution without the strategy yes. behind it, but equally you couldn't do it without the imagery that comes with it. So Excellent. yeah, I think it and it's that thing of getting a good fit and working with the right people at the end of the day. Yeah, and and it works well because the the, the well you collaborate with your business partner then, don't you? The same as you're saying you you want to collaborate with your clients because you've got very different skill sets. Yeah. Oh yeah, I, absolutely, and I think that's nice that then you bring different perspectives, and this is true in life as in business. The more perspectives that you get, mm. the wider view that you have, and then you're more open and flexible to change in different ideas. Okay. Well, going back to your, your step process about dating, we've sort of gone off a little bit on a tangent, which I tend to do uh, quite a bit. So you've started off with the, you know, find the one. Then you've talked about sort of, um, what was the second, the, the second stage there was was um, uh, building a relationship. Um, so on the dating game. So what's the next stage in terms of becoming a couple, as you call it? How does that work? I think that's the stage where you've ultimately decided that this is the person for you or this is the product or service for you mm. and actually you stop looking around and so that and so for example if you have a brand that you really love mm. you might just go and buy the same version of that kind of over and over again because you're really comfortable yeah equally it helps to develop loyalty so you've got it's the opportunity where you can cross sell and upsell um, target people with new product launches and also att- um, invite them to attend events mm. so it's the idea of that the trust is really being developed and you're taking people on a journey mm. and it's your opportunity to really demonstrate that you can meet expectations and that you are kind of in- innovative and that you've got other things on offer and really build trust so unlike i mean becoming a couple in a in a, a dating sense is 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 monogamy and all mm. that kind of thing you're effectively from a business point of view becoming a couple with multiple customers who've got the same you know you, you're basically looking for building 
loyalty and trust across a multiple level of customer engagement, aren't you? But the same principles apply. Individually, those customers are making decisions to buy from you, stay with you, and stay loyal to you. Is that is that fair? Yeah, I'd say that's absolutely fair. And I would say whether you are um, a business owner or you work in a company or you're kind of more the client side mm. or you're just a general consumer, that is really important. You've got to develop those relationships, have that trust and also want to be in that kind of partnership, as it were. Mm. And we've all known, I'm sure as consumers, where a product or a service has let us down mm. and we might give them another chance. And actually, I think... That's where if you've got some trust in the brand, you will say, okay, this is kind of a one-off. Let's see where it leads. Yeah. And it, it's about the response. And if the response is really good, you think, oh, that's great. I still want to keep going. Mm. If not, we all know when we fell out of love with the brand and we're like, actually, they used to be really good, but they just quite, don't quite do it for me. Yeah. And so it, it's exactly like you say, it's human relationships. But at the end of the day, it isn't that it's kind of once and done. It's mm. that this is a this is an ongoing relationship that we've got to maintain. We've got to speak to our customers. Mm. And if you think of trust and GDPR, we're trusting our data. Yeah. And we want companies to talk to us in the right way. And not to send us too much, but to send us the right amount of information, to send mm. us offers when they're there, not to be too salesy. There's lots of things that actually we... It's not just about getting people to the point of purchase. Mm. It's about loyalty and it's about recommendation. And there's, there's, there's so much more that needs to go on to retain that customer rather than to kind of go and acquire new customers. You should be doing that as well. But retention will always give you kind of more. The um, the amount of times I work with businesses in the sales function, because I, I support your know, sales growth and ambitions. We've got very similar uh, sort of values around that and similar client bases with, you know, sort of entrepreneurial aspirational growth businesses. Um, the amount of times that people get obsessed with winning new at the expense of looking after existing, um, it's it's astonishing really because you've worked hard to get the existing and you can't help but chase the new and chase the new. And sometimes it depends on the, the senior management team. If they come from a background of... Um, hunting rather than farming when it comes to sales they're desperately keen that they like the thrill of the chase they like getting the jobs over the line that's the bit that sort of satisfies them but the reality is you know once you've worked hard to get an existing client you've got to have an existing client strategy as part of your marketing function haven't you yes absolutely and part of that is nurturing your clients is rewarding them for their loyalty mm -hmm. and is also um getting them to the point where they want to recommend, but to recommend spontaneously and not be told to do it, if, if you know what I mean. Yeah. If you think of yourself again as a consumer, it's great to get a recommendation from somebody mm. because actually you think, I trust this person, they've liked this product. It makes it so much easier for me. It actually means I don't necessarily need to go through that whole awareness phase. I can probably go straight to consideration, mm. look at a few other things and think they're probably right for me. Mm. And it, it's that thing of actually you can almost mobilize the customers that you've got and you're retaining in order to help you acquire new and that can then make your marketing more effective so there's lots of things where yes you need a customer engagement or retention strategy and that can actually help you acquire new customers mm. yeah the two go i mean i i you know that's why i enjoyed meeting you originally because you've got a similar value to me in terms of that uh, it is about the thrill of the chase for new business but you, you you mustn't take your eye off the ball with what you've got and how you've got there and what you do with that I just want to take you back a step talking about sort of brand loyalty and first impressions around brand loyalty i recently changed my car um and i bought a, a brand i've never bought before and um when i got the car i loved it i loved the way it looks i loved it it's got loads of kit on it and all that kind of thing really pleased and it developed a rattle quite quickly and, and the rattle was under the dashboard somewhere and it was 
just annoying beyond belief not expected with that brand i thought why is you know i've never had this brand before my other brand of car it was a similar level never had any rattles etc so i phoned the garage i said look i've got a rattle on my car um it needs sorting quite easy to do blah blah i took it in they were brilliant i got my car back they'd valeted it they sorted the rattle out said we apologize there was something under the dashboard that was whatever fixed it and i'm now back in love with that brand and that car because of how they've dealt with a particular problem i didn't throw my toys out and say i'm never buying from them again it was just sometimes your expectations are not met which how you handle the, the lack of expectation management isn't it yes and interestingly for you you were kind of at the um I would say one of the early stages mm. with that brand because a car is a completely different purchase. It's a luxury considered high end item. Yeah. So actually you're not, you, you, you had your head turned from yes. your previous brand and actually you were more probably up at like initial date. If you think of cars, because yeah. we don't, we don't buy them that often. And probably that brand couldn't have behaved in any other way for you to have made it better mm. because there are always going to be problems in life. We can't get around that. Yeah. But it's actually how brands, companies, even people respond to a situation that doesn't go right and actually restores your faith in it. Whereas if they'd have responded completely differently, you probably would have kept that car, mm. but really been unhappy with it, changed it at the earliest opportunity and probably have gone back to the other brand. Yeah, I'm, I'm probably told hundreds of people how my experience of the of the, the brand, the, the new one, wasn't great, wouldn't I really? Whereas I, I'm quite happy to tell people I love my car and which brand it is. I'm not going to do it on the podcast because I'm not going to give them free advertising, but you know. <laughs> uh, let's just say I'm a delighted consumer of their brand and, I, and as it stands at the moment, you know, it's a bit early. I've only had it three or four months, but I'm, uh, I'm likely to, to be a, a longer term customer if that experience continues. So... Getting it right is really important, isn't it? And I also think there's probably another perspective there for you as well, as there will be some context as to why you left the other brand. Mm. And so that's really important because I think when you look at this relationship analogy, almost you don't want to risk a breakup or you don't want to risk a, a divorce, as yes. it were. Yeah. Because actually nothing is set in stone and the worst thing that could possibly happen is that as companies and brands, we become complacent. Right. Because we actually need to invest in that relationship and take people on a journey and create loyalty. And that might be creating a community of customers mm. and, like I say, sending them useful content or sending them specific deals that you want them to have. Mm. Or even taking their feedback in um, for when you're developing new products. Mm. So actually, you if you really nurture your customers, what you could end up with is a, a lot of insights, which you can access quite easily for you then to inform your future product development. Because at the end of the day, products and services are there to meet customer needs. So if you know what those customer needs are by getting feedback and engagement, then you probably likely get better product development in the future, aren't you? Yeah, absolutely. And negative feedback and challenges are just as important as positive feedback because positive just reinforces what we're doing, which is great. We yeah. want to know what we're doing well. But actually, we shouldn't be scared of that. This needs a tweak. This isn't quite right because everything should be constantly evolving. We should be constantly open to change. But both of those are better than no feedback, aren't they? Oh, yeah, absolutely, because you're completely in the dark if you've got no feedback. And I'm sure people everywhere have been in a situation where they don't know if they've done a good or a bad job in, in, in a job they've been in. Yeah. And so, yeah. Yeah, so no feedback's no good. Even I mean, it's how you handle it, isn't it, really? And, and they handle it really well. They were, they, were, they were mortified. I didn't expect my car to be validated, but it was validated and all that. Kind of little things that think, okay, well, they've done what they can do. And, and a rattle on a car's not the end of the world. You know, no one's no one's kind of uh, uh, injured or, or worse on that base. It was just annoying, but they dealt with the annoying 
worked really well. So um, so going back to the dating analogy, the final stage you call is this is the one. So how do you know, and can you still get that wrong at that late stage? How do you know this is the one? What, as a business, as a marketer, how do you know? I think it's about a really good fit with the business that you're working with. I think uh, for brands and for companies and their target audiences, it's about ultimately giving customers what they want to the point where, like I say, they don't necessarily want to go and consider other options. Mm. Yes, of course, you can get it wrong. As I was saying about you don't want to risk a breakup or a divorce. Nothing stands still. And that's the beauty of the world. Mm. But it's actually moving at a faster and faster pace. And so I think it's that thing of if you know what your objective is, you can then cut out all the noise of the world and focus on your objective mm. and make sure that you are developing your business and developing your products and your customer service in a way that keeps your customers happy. And yes, okay, you will have a little bit of churn because all companies do. Mm. And it's about keeping an eye on that. And I think everything needs to be overlaid with a level of pragmatism. So realistically, not everybody will convert. Realistically, once you get everybody to the point of kind of purchase and loyalty, some people's needs might just change. Mm. So I said there will be some context with your car and not to go into it all, but it might be that actually you don't need as big a car or you need a different type of car. Yeah. So it might be that you fell out of love with the brand. It might be that your needs changed. Yeah. And I think it's understanding customer needs change, being practical and realistic, and also doing much as much as you can to keep your brand moving forward. A brand and a company, they're living, breathing things. And it's about understanding that some of those changes might be very incremental and they mm. might be small tweaks. But actually, if we listen to our customers and we get their insight, and particularly we communicate with them, mm. then we have feedback that we can then go and act on and we can further develop and build that relationship. Okay. Well, I like to end my podcasts with a, a golden bullet type question, sort of the the real great piece of advice to summarise. So I'm going to ask you, if any of our listeners or viewers are struggling to make good use or best use of their marketing spend or marketing focus, as lots of businesses do, what would be your advice to them? How do you how do you get the best, you mentioned return investment. How do you get the best return investment for your marketing spend, assuming you're going to have some marketing spend in you know, 2020 going forward? Uh, I would say start at the end. Oh, so okay. what, what I mean by that is look at what you want to achieve. So rather than thinking that we need to do a little bit of social media activity or we need to send some emails, actually go back to your business and look at what you want to achieve. And part of that is you can go back to your values, you can send to check your proposition, you can look at your products and services. But when you've done that, actually look at what the business objective is. So if the business objective is to expand, actually, how will you go about doing that? And what measures will you put in place? Mm. So for example, as I said about the brewery with the crowdfunding, they knew they wanted £40,000. Yeah. We helped them get 56. Mm. So it's that idea of, if you know what you want to achieve, you can then work backwards. Right. Also really look at your audience and think of um, what drives your audience, what motivates them, what is the emotional side, what is the logical side, mm. what are their specific needs? And then as you get the objective and the target audience and that insight come together, that's when you can actually start thinking about what marketing would you be doing. So you do that. So you turn the whole journey off on its head, not just, you don't start at the end, you work backwards from the end, don't you? Yeah, I, w I would say so. We, we start with the objective, we look at the customers, and mm. then it's that point where you say the things that we'll do next, therefore, is, is the marketing activity. Yeah. And it's about 
investing if you can in the strategy behind it so if you can think strategically and for example you can start a craft beer revolution mm. and then you can um create images of like very strong images so what we did is we created a hop in a fist right. so it kind of had that idea of building a community saying no to bland boring beer etc yeah if you can do that that is what will win people's hearts and minds mm. what you could do is just shout hey we're crowdfunding but people might think, sure okay, enough. yeah, so what? You want a bit of money. But actually, hey, we're starting a revolution. Mm. That's got a completely different feel to it. It actually gets people quite interested. It's got a movement about it, yes, hasn't it? It's got, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's got a movement about it. It also takes people on a journey. So you get people to invest mm. or you get people, for example, if it was a marketing campaign to um, be interested in what you're doing, to want your content. Mm. And then when you're already talking to them, that's when you can go on a further journey with them mm. and you can really create that community. And I think it is about know what you want to achieve, know what your audience want mm. and actually make sure that your proposition is suited to that. So your proposition is ultimately about your audience and not about what you want the proposition to be and then look at your marketing activity sarah that's been absolutely insightful i'm sure that our audience is sat there thinking i need to turn my plans on the head for the rest of the year which is great um thank you for being a guest on the impact sessions podcast um your contact details will be all available at the end of this and uh it's been brilliant thank you for coming along yeah thank you for having me it's been great excellent see you soon bye